Uh, Alex is having difficulties with his microphone. God, imagine if you can't get back on, you have to sit there and listen to Oppenheimer go on the hit list, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the film's on trial equivalent of locked in syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. <laughs> and I'm Austin. <laughs> this week. He's, he's, he's going to be so annoyed when he finally gets his microphone working. <laughs> but we can't say anything for the time being because his microphone's broken. But anyway, th- this week we continue our best of 2023 season as we look to put some of the biggest films of 2023 on trial. And this week we're looking at a film that made one of the biggest bangs at the box office. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's my, my, my whole thing is just full of these, Dave. My whole speech is just full of, of bomb jokes. Uh, that's right. We're putting Oppenheimer on trial. Is it a blast or has it gone off? Hey. <laughs> Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? But before we go on to the trial, let's talk about our last trial, which was the uh, the other part of the cultural phenomenon, which is Barbie Heimer, of course, 2023's comedy Barbie. Ozzy judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, Ozzy's since gone away and watched it back for the 11th time. And what do you reckon, Ozzy? Did you make the right call, yes or no? I mean, after 10... It was getting a little bit repetitive, but <laughs> yeah, it's still on the right list. It's a very, very good film. I think it was come at the right time in the right, just everything in the area. And then, I mean, we've suddenly seen that it's the nominations for Oscars have come out and completely cemented why it's an important film to come out at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I think it's on the right list and, um, and I still thoroughly enjoyed it. It's great. Thank you very much, Ozzy. Alex, how are things going? Hello. There Very we go. Well. Yeah. How are you? Yes. Hey. Good stuff. Sorted out. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Don't know how proud I should be because it's my fault it went off. But... <laughs> <laughs> Still pretty proud. <laughs> well done, Mum. Well done. Well <laughs> done. Broke it and fixed you it. You broke it and fixed it. That's that's what it means to be a part of the patriarchy today, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Now, on to today's trial, and all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, and all of today's insults are descriptions of different types of bomb from Wikipedia. Now, I will oh, say... That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say, I was a little apprehensive when I was typing bombs into Google. <laughs> bombs, <laughs> descriptions, and uh, how to make them. <laughs> Uh, well, so... man, he's got nothing less to lose as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is me. And I'm just like a stink bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Designed to create an unpleasant smell, which can range in effectiveness from a simple prank to riot control chemical agents. <laughs> 
And I will be joined today by Ozzy, who's a bit like a suitcase bomb. He's uh, small, easily disguised, and very portable. (laughs) And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Dave. And Dave is just like a car bomb. He acts as his own delivery method and can carry a relatively large amount of explosives without attracting too much suspicion. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me I'm not wrong. Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, the hit or the shit list, based solely on the arguments put to him and not his real-life opinion about the director, Christopher Nolan... (laughs) No. It is. Wait, what was that? I missed that. I'm going to carry on. <laughs> it is Alex. And Alex is just like a dirty bomb. <laughs> bomb. bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has been known to disperse radioactive material uh-huh. for up to a few hundred meters, <laughs> rendering areas partly unusable and causing economic damage. <laughs> I- Wales is at fault. I take note. (laughs) Now, uh, before we get started, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Okay, so what we do here is we read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week, it has landed on big old question mark, which means it's Judge's choice. So, Judge Alex, who would you like to read the synopsis? Well, could you? can we all pick the voice and then I'll pick the person that I want to do it? Is that is that all right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about Einstein? No? Uh, yeah, okay. no, that's, that's probably one of the better ones to be honest. Everyone else is kind of a neutral American, aren't they? Kind of a 1930s well-spoken American accent otherwise, so... Yeah, you yeah, could be like a 1930s paper boy and be like, extra, extra, read all about it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if it's Einstein, I'm going to go with uh, yourself, Dave, if that's okay. How's your Einstein? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> but when has that ever stopped us? Down. When's that ever stopped us, huh? <laughs> so Einstein, I suppose just, just German. We call it an Einstein impression, but it's essentially just try... Clever German. A clever German. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do German, let alone clever German. Let's not make this complicated. But this will be good. Uh, the story of an American scientist, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. That's literally it. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's good that was it. I like that. That tells you nothing about the film, I will admit. <laughs> <laughs> That's everything you need to know. <laughs> Don't now, need to know too much, if I'm honest, Dave. I've, 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 I've got it. <laughs> He's already made up his mind. <laughs> he heard the name Christopher Nolan, and he was like, this is going straight on the shit list. Uh, but, <laughs> Alex, as the judge, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yes. So let's stick with defence, because I'm going to give you most of the airtime here. Uh, why (laughs) Oppenheimer obviously it's getting absolutely lauded um, but I've also heard some things you know it's a very long film isn't it how long is Oppenheimer it's three three hours three hours three hours so 
how can Christopher Nolan over make a three, three hours? Hour film? Three hours, over. one minute. Oh come on, he's just <laughs> he's just rubbing it in there, isn't he? Just uh, throwing his weight about. Gav, why is Oppenheimer the three-hour film? Why is it worth a watch? Well, three firstly, hours, one minute. Three hours, <laughs> three one hours, minute. One minute. <laughs> I, I'll tell you how this film came to be. You'll hate this, Alex. I will. Oh, sure. <laughs> but this film is inspired by the book American Prometheus, which was gifted to Christopher Nolan on the set of Tenet by Robert Pattinson. <laughs> That's great. That's good to know. Right. Wow. Um, so <laughs> tell me more about... Uh... <laughs> how this film came about. Okay, so I'll tell you a little bit about the film in general because we didn't really get too much out of the synopsis there. So the film flips between two time frames, one which details the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer or Killian Murphy, uh, his life from the time he was at school through to the dropping of the atom bomb. The other time frame details a hearing to review Oppenheimer's security clearance and credibility, whilst one of his detractors, Senator Strauss, who's played by Robert Downey Jr., seeks to gain approval for his nomination as Secretary of Commerce. Now, through the film, we see Oppenheimer rise through the ranks, being recruited to Harvard by Strauss, and then eventually being recruited by General Leslie Groves, played by Matt Damon, who wants Oppenheimer to help catch America up in the arms race. We see Oppenheimer and his colleagues race against the clock on the Manhattan Project, but upon its successful completion, Oppenheimer is racked with guilt over the destruction that it will and has caused. And Oppenheimer's plea to President Truman to reevaluate America's use of the bomb falls on deaf ears. Then eventually the two stories catch up to each other as we see Oppenheimer lose the hearing with some of his friends even turning against him. We also see Strauss lose the Senate vote as one of Oppenheimer's colleagues testifies about Strauss's personal motives in engineering Oppenheimer's downfall. Now, the story is expertly crafted and the overarching theme, this sort of study of, of humanity is quite, sorry, Alex, a profound one. Essentially, here is a man who was instrumental in creating a weapon which directly resulted in the deaths of tens or dozens of thousands of people. But we're shown the humanity within him, essentially, the, the, the struggles on his conscience and the grief and guilt that he felt afterwards. The acting is on another level. We made a joke last week about between Barbie and Oppenheimer. All of the actors working in Hollywood at that time had been hired by one of those two films. Every other part is played by somebody of note. Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. deliver career best performances. And even those with reduced roles give it their absolute best. And finally, the direction, once again, apologies, Alex, is masterful. <laughs> <laughs> Here is a director working at the peak of their game. So to take on a project of this scale and this ambition, to direct an original three-hour biopic, focused on the father of the atomic bomb. That is one thing in itself. But to then make it an IMAX movie with minimal CGI, focusing instead on practical effects, including... Did he actually detonate a nuclear bomb? That's... <laughs> wow. No, 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 no. He wow. used practical effects and lighting <laughs> to give the appearance okay. of detonating a nuclear bomb. Okay, good. <laughs> and okay. then have that film go on to achieve the critical and commercial success that it have sorry that it has had it's truly extraordinary or explosive you might say hey is it better than the dark knight direction wise Gav? 
it's hard to compare. But, but if you had to, but if someone was making you, I would say yeah. Okay, thanks, uh, Dave. You know, I, I obviously I'm not exactly Chris Nolan's <clears throat> biggest fan. No. Three hours on an Oppenheimer bio. Uh, bio Three hours, one minute. <laughs> Three hours, one minute. Sorry, Dave. Do keep correcting me on that. Uh, that does raise, you know, both eyebrows. I would say. Uh, but also there's quite a lot, you know, it's a study of humanity. This is a big part of human history. So, mm. yeah, you could sort of, I can see why actually maybe even that extra minute might need to be used. Um, acting, obviously, an ensemble cast, Dave. I'm very interested to see how you're going to be uh, mm. tackling an ensemble cast and masterful direction. So where does it fall down, Dave? Well, the, the direction, I have to admit, is pretty solid. I will make a few concessions there. And the film looks good, as Gav says. The cinematographer is uh, Hoyt van Hoytema, who has already won my heart as like the best name in cinematography. Yeah, Hoyt van uh, Hoytema. Yes, yeah, so we discussed him on, on Nope, I think he'd worked on yeah, previously. Nope. Yeah, he's, he's very good at what he does. I will admit, this film is very pretty to look at. Uh, yeah, I mean, Christopher Nolan knows what he's doing in that regard. But... I see what Gav's saying about the film being about uh, making a film about J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, he is, you know, I don't object to them making a film about him. He is, after all, one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. Um, his, his influence is still being felt to this day. His contribution to, I, I suppose you call it a contribution to humanity. Uh, oh, yeah, it's definitely a contribution. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, may, <laughs> it may not be pleasant or commendable or even recommended, but it's, uh, it's definitely significant. It's definitely colossal. Um, you've got to get the tone right on a film such as this, you know, Oppenheimer admittedly did a great deal to prevent nuclear proliferation as best he could, uh, arguably not enough. Uh, and he was a reliable voice against the nuclear arms race that unfolded. Uh, but let's not forget. He was also part of the committee that selected Nagasaki and Hiroshima as the targets of the, of the nuclear bomb strikes. Um, it, this, that's true. And that is a key part of Oppenheimer's legacy. He also never expressed any regret for having been an instrumental part of those bombs being dropped. And this is key when you're understanding that this is a film about J. Robert Oppenheimer, and it's shown through his eyes. You follow Killian Murphy throughout this film, and you can't help but, I suppose, sympathize or relate to your protagonist in, in these sort of films. Is Oppenheimer someone we really want to relate or sympathize with, given what he did? I mean, I know he was a human being, and you know he didn't set out to do something as evil as maybe it turned out to be but he was still part of building one of the most devastating weapons of mass destruction that the planet has ever seen uh, and like I say he showed no regret for the strikes that cost at least 130,000 casualties estimated closer to 200,000 casualties mostly civilian you know and the only time it's ever mentioned in the film and this is what I mean when I talk about tone the only time it's ever mentioned that someone says he never once expressed any public regret for his part in this, it's said by Louis Strauss, uh, played by Robert Downey Jr., his nemesis, who's kind of, if there's a villain of the piece, it's him. He's the guy who's trying to undermine Oppenheimer. He's the guy who's going against our protagonist, against our hero. And, it, you know, it's his personal vindictiveness that's trying to drive Oppenheimer down. That's why he's got this hearing where he's got to justify himself. And it's like, it's just, it gets lost. That's a very key point about the nature of Oppenheimer's character that is just kind of washed over. It's kind of thrown in with that personal vindictiveness when I think that's a real, really key fact about understanding the man and it wasn't given due consideration and due attention. And I, I admit that Oppenheimer, 
you know, in the film, they do mention that he is kind of the voice of reason in some cases. Um, he you know, advocated for restraint and he was very concerned about the long term ramifications of nuclear weapons. Um, but he's kind of shown as a lone wolf in that regard, like the only person with that voice of reason. That's simply not true. Many historical figures throughout the Roosevelt administration, throughout the Truman administration, voiced very loud public concerns about what was unfolding. Oppenheimer really didn't lend his voice to them until long after he'd stopped being a, a key part of the Manhattan Project. Uh, so again, I, I feel that they've given him a little too much credit there when there's other people that really were trying to raise the alarm, so to speak. You know, it's um, Nolan is a brilliant director, I will admit. I think he's very good at what he does. Uh, Oppenheimer was also very good at what he did. He was another brilliant man. Um, but I, I think both may have been a little bit too engrossed in their respective projects here to really think about the ramifications. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, the resulting the resulting effects of Oppenheimer will not be nearly as serious as its eponymous protagonist. I don't know, man. Tenet was pretty shit, wasn't it? So. <laughs> Tenet came before. You can't blame Oppenheimer for what came before. But... Um, no, I do think Nolan, like like Oppenheimer, may have been a little too close to his project and didn't see it snowballing away from him. Like I say, the three-hour length of this film is quite significant. And you know, I'll carry on later when we go further into story and I'll tell you all about how those three hours are broken down. But yeah, overall, I've got a problem with the tone of this film and the way it deals with quite a problematic protagonist who I think is uh, let off a little too easy. Sure. No, that is, that is a very interesting point. You know, considering this is a a biopic of Oppenheimer, I would imagine delving into the darker side of his character would be, I, I would just assume that would be a big part of it. And, you know, it sounds like Dave may be saying that it's a very sympathetic look at him. And, you know, maybe, yeah, there's parts that are discussed about him, but really it doesn't have teeth when it comes to that side of things. I'd also, you know, if I come back to you, Gav, I can see you've got mm -hmm. some points to talk about on story. Um, does it kind of have an overarching, like, point about nuclear weapons does that sort of come into Oppenheimer and it's okay if it doesn't I'm just I, I it sort of seemed to me like you know wh where are we landing are we sort of saying that it was a massive mistake you know do, does the film sort of take a stand on that Gav uh, yeah unsurprisingly the film says that atomic weapons are bad uh, and uh, that we shouldn't use them so I, I I agree a bit with Dave I do think it could have been a lot more critical about Oppenheimer but I do think that it portrays the man and the scientist very well because the scientist is very wrapped up in his work and he just wants to discover, he wants to be the first to create it. It's almost like he's just sort of, the thing is, is that he is wrapped up in his, in his own creation and his own passion, his determination, even his stubbornness to think about anything else other than his work. And then there's the realization that once it drops, it's like, oh shit, actually, you know, the work and the actual effect are two completely different things. There's this scene, the the nuance and sheer emotional range that, that Killian Murphy manages to portray in, in this scene is amazing. It's just after the bomb's been dropped, he delivers a speech at the Manhattan Project Village and everybody is cheer basically says oh yeah it's, it's been dropped and we've killed x amount of people and everybody is cheering and celebrating but he has this, this subtle moral and psychic breakdown and you can see that he's conflicted and i think you know what christopher nolan might have been doing is, is showing that 
everybody at the time was wrapped up in this and they were just thinking about the victory. They weren't thinking about the devastation of life. They weren't thinking about the ramifications of that. They were like, we want to win. Even though the war was technically over, they were like, we want to win the war. We want to, we want to have revenge for, for Pearl Harbor, whatever it might be. But everybody in that village at that time, even, even the presidents were all wrapped up in this and they were very, very tunnel visioned about this. So, yeah, for him to come out and, and publicly declare, you know what, we made a mistake at a time as well when he was being looked at as a potential communist and all of his actions were being scrutinised. I can understand why they didn't delve more into his apology. Even the man himself, I can understand why he didn't come out and make a public apology. I do think that it could have, it could have focused a little bit more on that, but I understand why, why not. And I, I do. Oh, oh no, I was just going to say I do think that there there is some criticism there, the, particularly from his his wife. A one scene. There's a really really like the script is just so well written, and there's this this one scene. Oppenheimer essentially becomes quite passive towards the end of the film. Once the bomb has dropped, he essentially. He, he, he's just very passive, and when he's at the hearing, he just lets them completely tear him apart. And it's like he's punishing himself for what he's done. And there's a bit where Kitty, his, his wife, played by Emily Blunt, turns around and says, you don't get to commit sin and then ask us all to feel sorry for you when there are consequences. And then she says, you think because you let them tar and feather you that the world will forgive you. They won't. And I, I, I thought that was quite powerful there to be like, yeah, OK, we've got to remind ourselves that the, although this is the protagonist of the film, and that we have been behind him for this point. He has just done something completely fucking atrocious. And we, we need to kind of separate that from what we've been watching so far. And just finally, your point about where, what's its stance on uh, nuclear war, essentially. It's this final bit of dialogue between Oppenheimer and Einstein, which leaves the, the latter bereft, uh, which is, is why... He essentially Einstein. There's a scene where Einstein and Oppenheimer are talking in a garden, and then after their conversation, Einstein walks past Strauss. Strauss says, I, I, "All right, mate, how's it going?" And Einstein completely blanks and just completely ignores him. And he thinks that th th well, this is essentially the catalyst for that vendetta that Strauss has against Oppenheimer. He thinks that Oppenheimer has said something to Einstein, which has uh, basically put Einstein off Strauss. But actually, at the very end of the film, you come back to that conversation to hear what they actually said. And Oppenheimer recalls a time when he asked Einstein to review some calculations. And he says, Albert, when I came to you with those calculations, we thought we might start a chain reaction that would destroy the entire world. And when Einstein says, yeah, what of it? Oppenheimer responds with, I believe we did. And then that's essentially it. That's the end of the film. And it's such a devastating line to end the film on. As we leave the cinema and we turn on the news and we witness all the war and destruction around the world at the moment, and we think, yeah, you, you know, he was right. It did. Wow. All right. Well, uh, Dave, a couple of points I saw you wanted to come back on in, in there. Yeah, just a little. Um, I, I agree with essentially what Gav's saying there. There is an anti-nuclear message at the heart of this film. Um, but I don't think they did enough to really show you the horrors of the the effects of the nuclear strikes you know and and you know part of me is like i'm glad i didn't get to to see that i don't really want to but i feel that it, they kind of glossed over it's all done from oppenheimer's perspective 
So you don't see the aftermath of the nuclear strikes. And like I say, there's a strong argument to say you don't really want to. That's not what the film is going for. But it's all like it's in the eyes of the creator. And it's just like, I still wonder whether he's the right person to really show us this. It, it is done quite well, though, even though I think it's coming from the wrong angle. I think it is done quite well. That scene where Gav was saying where everyone's cheering in the village as he's about to deliver his speech and it cuts to him and he can't hear cheering. All he hears is hundreds of people screaming, maybe thousands of people screaming. That's how he hears the cheering and he can't get that out of his head. And I think that's actually quite well done. But I do think there should have been a bit more about the actual destruction that was caused by his bombs. That's Sorry. So there isn't. So is there any? Is there any? Is it set in Japan? Is there any Japanese characters? No. In there? No, you don't see. You don't see Japan. But the, the, I will add that wow. this. This is this. Like Christopher Nolan's been questioned about this, and he said this is a film about Oppenheimer. And the thing is, is that Oppenheimer was so far removed from what he was doing. He was like he was create. He was in his own little village that they constructed for him to create this bomb. And then as soon as he finished, like the second after they'd finished and they tested it, the army just came in, collected it and went. They just didn't even have a chance to compute what was going on. It was just gone and it was just off getting dropped. And then that's it. He's like, and what Christopher Nolan is trying to say here is Oppenheimer is so far removed from it that up until that point, he's been like, yeah, this is just a project that we're working on. You know, like we're trying to create an atom bomb and that's amazing. And then it happens off screen, off camera. You don't need to see the destruction because we know we've seen like the destruction countless times in films and history. And we know what it is. And, and that is conveyed through Killian Murphy's performance. Like we, we don't need to see that. We like we see the after effects of him coming to because you know yeah he wasn't he didn't drop the bomb he never went to japan he, he he was so far removed from it but it's that realization of oh, shit what have i done and i think that's better than seeing the effects of, of the bomb being dropped because because we, we've, we've seen that film we've seen it many many times before and i'm not saying that we that that shouldn't have been included you know it might have been nice to include that but at the end of the day this is about Robin, uh, oppenheimer and how removed he was from the situation. I don't think we have seen that film before. I don't think they, the America doesn't really tend to want to talk about the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings. They don't really make films about them in the same respect. So we haven't really seen that story. And this was the prime opportunity for that story to be shown. Um, Cause we're talking about the creator of the, of the atomic bomb. And I just feel it missed an opportunity with this budget and the kind of audience this film was about to reach. And with a, a good, a great storyteller, like, Christopher Nolan at the helm. This was an opportunity to show the magnitude of that destruction and and allow people to understand exactly what happened there. I know they know. I know they can read about it in a book or or a documentary. But I think in in the terms of the film in which we're delivering, I feel that's a key element that Christopher Nolan really could have considered. And I understand Gav's reasoning as to why he didn't. But I personally feel that that should have been included. And and also I just want to talk briefly about the inclusion of Einstein, which I think was. I think it was a bit pandering to the audience a bit because Einstein is such a recognizable figure. He wasn't really involved in the Manhattan Project. Granted, his calculations years before had started the ball rolling on what would become nuclear physics uh, and what have you. Yeah, but he's such a recognizable figure, not just in, in science circles, but in like in global pop culture. He's in the zeitgeist. If you show the kids in your class a picture of Einstein, they might be able to tell you who he is. Some people might be able to tell you E equals MC squared. They might not be able to tell you what it means. But people have heard of E equals MC squared. No, he's a big deal. Um, so I feel Einstein is shoehorned in here for like purely for the the ability to recognize him. 
uh, and keep the audience entertained. And he and Oppenheimer were familiars, uh, contemporaries. They weren't particularly friends. They got on well. That was not to say they, they didn't see eye to eye on anything, but they weren't really close. Uh, this film implies that they did meet and they he shared this calculation, you know, Edward Teller's calculations, which were a concern that Teller had that the nuclear bomb could ignite the atmosphere and destroy the planet. When That's when he says, when he talks about the uh, the chain reaction that could destroy the Earth, he meant literally, literal chain reaction yeah. that could destroy the Earth. And then it turns out by the end of it, oh, I meant figuratively as well, you know. Uh, um, but yeah, he wouldn't have gone to Einstein with that calculation. You know, Einstein, clever as he was, he this was not his wheelhouse. He would not have been the authority to go to on this sort of thing. He would not have been the guy who could have checked these calculations for you. Uh, so I do feel they've kind of shoehorned him in. And shoehorned him in as well, and not just to recognize Einstein for the audience, but also just to try and give this sort of petty reasoning behind why Louis Strauss hated uh, Oppenheimer so much. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's... He he did hate him. Louis Strauss absolutely hated Oppenheimer. You know, history tells us that as much, um, and so much so that you know that's probably what did cost him his his uh, cabinet position. You know, when Eisenhower wanted him to be Secretary of Commerce in '59, and the Senate refused to ratify it after a number of scientists that had worked with Oppenheimer got together and uh, basically said, you know, a lot of scientists would wish that Louis Strauss was not in government at that point. They even called it the last Strauss. That was the name of their group that they put together. Word. Yeah, it's, it's good wordplay. They're scientists. They're clever guys. They're good at this wordplay. Um, so yeah, no, it's I get what you know. You've got to show um, relatable reasons as to why Strauss hated Oppenheimer. I think it was more convoluted than that. I think Einstein is kind of used as a device, one for a bit of hey, you got you guys all recognize this guy. You've seen a film about you know dozens upon dozens of people. You've no idea who they are. You know who this guy is though, don't you? He's not actually in the story, but I put him in there anyway. And also to make, you know, the Lewis Strauss thing more relatable. So yeah, that's um that's that's my comeback on those points. Good, good comeback, Dave. Uh Ozzy, you've been quiet throughout this whole thing. I have, uh, yeah, you know, just gathering, listen gathering your thoughts. Well, yeah, listening in. One of the things which I like when we do a film that's, you know, as as big a hitter as this, you know, maybe even a, as Barbie and a few others that we've done in the past, is how when we don't have too much to say, we break down and talk about what we wish the film had become <laughs> and not what it actually is. Um, is that, you know, this is an, this is an epic film um, and it's huge. And, and, I, and a lot of the arguments that Dave's thrown out there have come to me from, so like my brother, my brother is avid reader of sort of the Manhattan projects, really, really interested in it. So he was filled with gripes with the film that were inaccuracies, and the whole drama and the point of the story almost lost on him because of these inaccuracies and these, these changes which you need to make in order to tell a story. And I think a lot of what Dave pulled out there are artistic choices to get a message across and to, to tell the story of a person. So, yeah, some of them are regrettable that, you, yeah, that we don't get to see the bomb and the devastation at the end of it, but we're aware of the devastation and we see with the devastation you know beyond that we hear the the, the the talk and and how it deals with the man the whole point is the film is about the man so there's a there's a few bits like that where i think we need to be careful when when judging that we're not judging the film we want it to be you leave that to rather me, than the... i've got this also <laughs> you don't worry about you know. that I, i'll do that i'll do the judging <laughs> um <I'll, laughs> well, and t- it, 
in, in terms of, of other stuff though, you know, like I think, you know, to push things forward is that we've, we've mentioned several times and Dave, you know, is, is already sort of backed up on this is that the direction really is, he is a very, very good director and he's made some incredibly good choices within this. Um, not least of which is the, as you know, choice of composer. The the music is is really haunting, and the the soundtrack throughout is um it's just really well placed, really well timed. So has he moved away from the sort of bar 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 sort of ideas of his his past few films? Well, you know yeah. what I mean. You know that like very strong, well orchestral. It's still poignant. You know, it's still Nolan. So let's not. It's not. It's not. It's not changed fully, but yeah. it's very apt for the. Uh, it's very, very apt for what we're watching, you know, and it's it's quite it's not quite a right sweeping. Point. It's not quite a, a okay. sweeping orchestral score. It's not as yeah, it's not. it's not as epic as the uh, film length would suggest it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that actually that's another little point that so what Dave was talking about that that's the film which Dave really wished we'd seen. Probably would have had to be five hours long, six hours long. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> so <laughs> I will, I will say that the. They tried to make uh, an Oppenheimer biopic previously. Well, they did in 1980, but there was so much to cover that it was a seven-hour, seven-part miniseries. Goodness. Uh, so, so I think it's quite impressive that he's managed to trim that down to just three hours. <laughs> yeah, but, in context. <laughs> and speaking of how impressive it is to have got things in, I think they, they, they do it really well in terms of um, distinguishing between the two time periods. Um, you've got... The hearing in the Senate is in like black and white, and then everything else is color. And I think it really um, it adds some sort of symbolism to be the the hopefulness and how how keen they are to be working on the project beforehand before they really understand the devastation. And then the aftermath. You know, the aftermath is so very serious, and um, you know, just sort of all passion and enthusiasm has just been removed from his life. So, so I think that's. Um, you know, quite a clever, clever director's tool there, and and it and it really does hammer home that that alongside with the music. I think that just really, um, I think it's a really clever choice. Um, and then yeah, we've got some some great uh, sort of just production and set design is uh, is super impressive. The the areas where they were actually doing the tests, they're like incredibly accurate from the the photographs and the archive footage. They've done a really good job of. Of um, a piecing that together, so some characters have been amalgamated to be a, to be a single person just to to make things fit and keep stories moving. But the actual sets themselves, you know, painstakingly recreated. So, you know, real testament to the to the level of detail that they've gone to there. And I think that you probably saw the news around this where they use this um, extra large format film, sixty five millimeter large format, and it's to try and make it to be as natural as possible. Nolan said that whether it's costumes, sets, or locations that you're looking for, the real world complexity and detail, it's all captured, you know. So he's um so it's really helped to keep the audience engaged and, and alongside that with people delivering what we talked about at the start, the you know, some of the best acting we've seen in years and years. Certainly um, you know, it's not lacking. Well, you know, interestingly, come to this because I'd like to go into more of the cast and characters, and I'm glad it's I'm glad it's sort of come back round to Dave because, Dave, you are the biggest fan of ensemble cast that I I know of. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear points on the ensemble cast, and you can't use anything I've ever said about why ensemble casts are shit, Dave. 
I I don't think ensemble casts are shit. I I like seeing multitudes of talented actors working together in the same film. It's it's a good cast. I'm going to make a concession on this one. It is a solid solid cast. There's a lot of good. I mean I mean a lot. A lot of good actors have small roles in this. Some of them, you know, they, we often say, "Oh, I wish I'd seen more of them." It's like, you know what? I don't mind. Rami Malek popping up in a very small role. I'm just pleased he's here, you know? Gar- uh, Gary Oldman cameos, and it is kind of just a cameo. It's a minute or two long as Harry S. Truman at the end of the film. And it's like, you know what? I'd, I'm pleased Gary Oldman pitched up for this one. Um, you know, it's a solid cast. And I think everyone, to be fair, gives a solid performance. Um, my issue is the characters. You know, the cast themselves, I think everybody from Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, everybody, I think, does a very good job in the performances. It's the characters I've got a problem with. I feel some characters we spend too much time on, some characters we don't spend enough. I feel they shoehorned Gene Tatlock into the film. That's the character played by Florence Pugh, who uh, Oppenheimer has an affair with. And I feel that she's really in there just for him to bounce some ideas off. Um, and to kind of humanize him a little bit. That's all he's there for. They're just there to talk about philosophy and uh, communist theology and uh, to kind of humanize Oppenheimer and kind of like, oh, he wasn't just a scientist. He was a womanizer as well. It's like, great. You're not making him any more sympathetic. And, you know, when we come back to Oppenheimer, who this film is about, this is his biopic. It, it does try to portray him as quite a sympathetic character. You know, you feel sorry for him throughout his 90, 1954 hearing and the, the ruling that would later go on to ruin his reputation. Um, you, and you're almost meant to be willing him to succeed throughout with his endeavor to create the most devastating weapon of mass destruction on a man. Uh, you're supposed to kind of turn a blind eye to that affair that he has with Gene Tatlock and, you know, accept his near poisoning of one of his uh, university professors. He poisons an apple with some chemicals at the start of the film because he gets annoyed that he doesn't get to do as much. He gets sent to do lab work rather than attend a lecture that he wanted to attend. So the natural thing to do is to poison your tutor. And the funny thing is this actually happened. Oppenheimer. Death. Yeah. Oh. It, it possibly could have killed him. Oppenheimer. Uh, this actually We've happened. We've all thought about it. Yeah. It, he actually <laughs> did it. He poisoned the apple and then um, changed his mind and quickly got rid of the apple the following morning after leaving it on his Changed bed. his mind. Changed his mind. Yeah. But it's just, it's kind of used in, it's never really gone into how, messed up that is it's just we're supposed to just kind of like accept it as like a, a microcosm for his willingness to throw away life or something i don't know it's, it's, it's like that time that alex slashed mr o'neill's tires but then <laughs> she decided to replace them <laughs> and he was none the wiser <laughs> i mean you, yeah and you can even be uh, forgiven for feeling some sort of empathy with oppenheimer for his his guilt in the aftermath of the strikes you know such is the construct of the film and and its predisposition to, to sympathize with its protagonist who i'm not really sure we should sympathize with to that level i feel we get a bit carried away and that's why i kind of we talk about it's like oh he's quite right i'm going to tell you exactly how i think the film should have been done <laughs> get, get award-winning director christopher nolan and this vision oh, sure this is what i've been waiting for dave do I, <laughs> I can't help but feel that maybe the film would have been better off coming from the eyes of one of the scientists working on the project with oppenheimer rather than through his eyes i feel it could have been a more interesting character study uh, because you wouldn't have to sympathize him with him in the same way and try and he was a human being but you humanize him if you know what i mean um it's it's a tricky one i, I see what nolan's tried to do but it's the characters i have a problem with like i say einstein gene tatlock some are shoehorned in 
um, for quite obvious reasons that don't really lend themselves to the film. And others, you know, you don't need a cast this big. And it does get a bit confusing when you've got all these nuclear physicists who are based on real people, but they're not real people that we know of in the same way. They're not, they're not memorable in the same way, unless you're in the field of science. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit more about the science later, but I'll stop there and let the guys talk about cast and character. Okay. Defense, anyone feel like they can take the characters and, and have, you know, uh, Dave sort of agrees. I think, you know, we can concede that the acting is across the board pretty good. But we're coming back to this Oppenheimer, you know, this is a biopic about him. And it seems to, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be delving into the sort of, you know, is he a good character? Is he a bad character? It seems to be going, leaning heavily into the, oh, no, he's, he's fine. Yeah, he poisons people every now and again, creates weapons of mass destruction. But... <laughs> <laughs> Both he only did once. Tempted, yeah. tempted poison. <laughs> once was enough, though, wasn't it? <laughs> well, no, no, I'd like, I, I would argue that it doesn't need to be so black and white. It doesn't need to be like, oh, this guy is a real villain or this guy's a hero. It can be a little bit of like, here is a bad man that did some good things or here's a good man who did some bad things. And I feel that that's essentially what Oppenheimer is about. I don't really necessarily think Christopher Nolan says, this is a great guy. We need to sympathize with him. Obviously, he goes through a, a lot towards the end and that can help build sympathy. But you know, we are talking about the guy who built the atomic bomb, who, as, as Dave said before, killed thousands and thousands of people. I don't think that ever, you ever forget that at any point. I don't think, you know, no matter how good Killy Murphy is, you never think, oh, I mean, you know, it, oh, it was just a bomb. You know, it, it's, it, we, we, we are talking about Oppenheimer here. And I think that, that you know, as Dave said, <laughs> It's just it's got Oppenheimer being asked for the hundredth time. He's just like, Jesus, it was just a bomb. Right, <laughs> one, one bomb and one poison apple. Other stuff. Everyone's <laughs> always asking me about. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, uh, as Dave said, the performances are just fantastic. Kelly Murphy has been a long time well-respected and incredibly talented actor, but here this is essentially his biggest platform to date, and he did not disappoint. I mentioned before about the sheer nuance and emotional range that he manages to convey without really going over the top. We're talking about heat two weeks or four weeks ago, I should say, and we're talking about some of the actors delivering good performances, but perhaps doing it a bit over the top and just adding it down a little bit here. The amount that he manages to convey with just like the twitch of an eyebrow or just the quiver of a lip is just incredible. And I mentioned before, you know, he starts off really wide-eyed, enthusiastic, passionate. And then once the bomb has been dropped, he retreats into himself. He almost becomes a shell of a man by the end of the film. And I think it's a really well-rounded character. I, I, I do agree with Dave in, in that there could have been more about his feelings of guilt and maybe it could have been more about you know, the remorse that he felt. But I don't know too much about Oppenheimer, to be honest. I don't know if he actually did feel remorse or regret or guilt on the scale that we would want. So, I mean, I don't want to slander him here, but it could have been an accurate portrayal in this film. Then there's Robert Downey Jr., absolutely brilliant here. The opposing force to Oppenheimer, the man that brought him to Oxford, who then began this slow and calculated campaign to destroy his reputation and his credibility in the film because of a perceived slight from Einstein that Strauss believed was caused by, by Oppenheimer. 
his character's evolution from this sort of, well, first, you think he's maybe a friend or maybe an advisor, a colleague, an equal to Oppenheimer. And then he becomes this sort of power hungry player uh, as, as the hearing goes on. And then eventually he has the rug pulled from underneath him. Downey Jr.'s range in that span is absolutely fantastic. It's it's absolute joy to witness, to be honest. Then there's great performances from Emily Blunt, whose character, this admittedly, I would say, doesn't get as much screen time as I would have liked. But as an actor, she makes the most out of every second she's on screen. She's absolutely fantastic. And as Dave said before, great cameos from Matt Damon, Josh Hartnett, Gary Oldman. And the thing is, and I should say, a very short but very chilling cameo from Casey Athlet as well as Boris Pash, this sort of US Army military intelligence officer who investigates Oppenheimer. And I said earlier that it's a real who's who of a cast, but I know one of my arguments from Barbie was that when you have a cast like this, it can, the risk is that it can turn into a bit of cameo spotting, which draws you out of the film. But the difference for me here, and this is exact contrast to what Dave was saying, is that it feels like every character has a purpose. For me, there was never a moment where an actor appeared on screen that I didn't believe in the character that they were portraying or that I was a bit pulled out to be like, oh, hang on, is that Rami Malek? Every single actor in this piece delivers their absolute all, and it is really entertaining to see. Sounds pretty amazing, that. Right, I think I'm starting to get my, you know, my, my thoughts around Oppenheimer. Are there any some sort of final points that we could uh, start bringing things to a close? Dave, I noticed before you wanted to talk about science a little bit. Yeah, I mean, really, it's the, it's the uh, pacing of the film. And yeah, I can wrap it up with this. This film is really more of an endurance test than it is a movie. You know, I've been, draw- I've been hinting at you that it's long and it's technically impressive, though it may be. It's tedious. The, la- the final third of the film is probably the most exciting third, but you've got a good hour in the meantime, dedicated to the development of the bomb, which, you know what, this is a film about Oppenheimer. It makes sense that, you know, you'd spend a bit of time on the creation, but it takes up a good third of the film. From what I've gathered from speaking to others, um, if you have little to no interest in physics, you're going to struggle to follow these bits of the film or at least find it hard to engage with it. Well, those who have a decent grasp of the science will tell you that the film dumbed it down too much leaving a very small cross-section of viewers who may not really appreciate the scientific jargon. In in short, some viewers um, may not understand the scientific aspects of the script, and others may feel that Nolan's script didn't understand them. Uh, as I say, and this makes up a decent amount of the film screen time, this is a problem. And it, that is what I talk about when I say the pacing is a bit off and the tone is a bit off, certainly with regards to characters and how we're supposed to feel about these characters and the events that they caused and triggered. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, and Ozzy and Gav. I, I, I get what Dave is saying, but I don't really agree. I, I never felt like there was a pacing issue. If anything, I felt it was sort of an accurate portrayal of what I was really trying to achieve. It was like this slow, steady build where we're getting to know Oppenheimer, his life, and then the sort of the race to get the the bomb completed. That's where the pace starts increasing. And then the bomb is dropped. And then that's where essentially Dave mentioned the excited third act. It's sort of like the aftermath, what happens next. So I felt like it was paced pretty well, to be honest. 
And as I said before, this is a very ambitious project. I mentioned that originally this was a 1987 hour miniseries. So for, for Nolan to manage to get all of this in three hours and for it not to just be engrossing, but also to then go on to become a pop culture phenomenon, which essentially it has, is very, very impressive. I think the whole thing, the fact that we're talking about Oppenheimer being one of the most successful films of last year, and I don't just mean critically, I'm talking financially as well. And really, it's a three-hour biopic, an original biopic, not based on any existing IP, not a superhero film, not a sequel, not a remake. This is a three-hour biopic, and it became one of the highest-grossing films of last year. That is impressive. Could have had a little bit of help from Barbie with that one. There was a bit of a, a cultural phenomenon which possibly got people through the door that might do you think, not normally. Do you think without Barbenheimer, it would have been different. Uh, I'm just putting that out there, food for no, thought. But probably, yeah, but probably it did. But you can't deny the fact that it still went on to make money. I can understand like the hype of people being like, oh, I want to watch both. But for the fact for it still to be in the race and it's still to be making money weeks, months after it was released, that can't all be down to Barbie. It would be weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. Uh, thank you very much uh, for all of your arguments. Uh, I'm going to obviously go and deliberate. Uh, I've also, uh, it was my turn to do a quiz. I've also forgotten to do a quiz. So what I'm going to do, I've bashed together one because Ozzy reminded me about four minutes ago that it was my <laughs> turn to do a quiz. <laughs> I've bashed together one in, in the last four minutes. It's one question. And uh, it's just jump in as quick as you can. Uh, Oppenheimer is based on the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer. But what did the J stand for? Julius. <laughs> Dave gets it. Well done, Dave. Dave. <laughs> I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Well sorry done, about Dave. that. Sorry. Uh, sorry about that. It was really bad. Ozzy was like, uh, are you doing quiz? And you know, you're instant thinking. It's like, no. I'm not. And it's like, oh, I am no one. I absolutely, absolutely was my Well, turn. I look forward uh, to your amazing quiz in two weeks' time to make up for this. Fair, fair. <laughs> That's only fair. Okay. Uh, a lot to talk about. And you know what? Um, it wasn't cut as dry as, as I thought. I, I did go in. I, I sort of was going around today thinking, like, I'm going to put Oppenheimer on a shit list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I did think that. And then as the trial was going on, I was like, no, well, these guys have put a bit of effort in here. I best, I best actually listen to what they're saying. Uh, and there's a lot to say that's really good about it. You know, masterful direction. Everyone uh, agrees with that. I, I will judge that for myself, but, you know, everyone said it, so I can't then use that as an argument to put it on the, on the shit list. Uh, you know, and, and also you got, you know, you got the cinematographer from Nope, who, you know, great cinematography. An ensemble cast, and, you know, I don't think anyone had a problem with any of the performances. You know, Dave had a problem with the character of Oppenheimer. Um, you know, also... You know, does it delve into the dark side of his character? Does it look into, you know, it's a study in him, it's a biopic. But I do think, like, you know, we were discussing his guilt all the way through it. And I think really in a, if you've got them processing Oppenheimer's guilt throughout the film, then I think that's that's really kind of the crux of the film. And, and even if, uh, you know, it could have been done in a slightly different way and he's too sympathetic, I, I think that more comes down to maybe personal choice, which the film obviously has brought up, which I think it should have done. I, I think for me, um, 
it possibly was oddly simplified in certain places and considering it was three hours one minutes maybe you know maybe, maybe it didn't need to be you know we've got like you know quick cameos of harry truman by uh, Gary Oldman that's only two minutes long it, it just seems like a, a, a bit of a strange choice and some some of the choices did seem strange I, I really found the fact that there isn't really any look at Japan or the aftermath that that occurred must be very odd for people who are living in Japan um, I, it must be weird to watch this film um, the fact that the off-screen destruction isn't shown it feels to me like that would impact a lot on the impact that you know that Oppenheimer is going through the guilt and, and and the actual effect that it did have, but I think the best argument, I think the one that won it for me was the one that Ozzy said very very early on, which was there's a lot of people who who wish the film was in a certain way, and and for me personally, absolutely, the fact that it isn't set in Japan seems completely crazy, but that is just a choice, and that's what I wish the film is, but not what the film actually is, and I've started to realise over the last few years that. That I'm not God, and that I should, you know, I'm not in charge of how films should have been made. Uh, so I think on that, I do think, taking that aside, yeah, certain choices are made that you know I, I disagree with, but it does seem like it does seem like a good study into Oppenheimer. It does seem like a really well acted one. It does seem like it's got a really good score. It seems like it's got a really good cinematography, and it seems that even though it is three hours, it doesn't, it didn't get the sense that anyone felt it lagged. Mm -hmm. So um, I am, I, you have made me excited to watch Oppenheimer, uh, which is quite a roundabout. So, uh, so yeah, it's on a shit list. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really. It's on the hit list. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you. Uh, very, very good. And you know what? Very impartial and unbiased grown, judge no, do, do you know what i was trying not to do i was trying not to be so impartial that i just put it on the hit list though do you know what i mean i was like no no <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate line yes to tread. and yeah. if you would have put it on the shit list i would have i would have thought it was just because of your hatred for christopher nolan so there was, <laughs> it was a lose-lose situation to be it honest is. yeah yeah i know <laughs> but anyway thank you very much and thank you everyone for your arguments so genuine opinions I think I'll go first if that's okay. So I really liked it, but I do agree with some of the stuff that Dave was saying. When I got out of the cinema, I, I said to my wife, I was like, a bit strange that they didn't include some of the destruction and the impact of it. I would have liked a little bit of that. I'm not saying that I would have liked Grave of the Fireflies too, but I just would have liked some of it just to kind of show the, the, the impact of... of yeah. Of what it's what it's created and I just thought it was a little strange to admit that I, I can understand what I was saying about keeping it separated and he was so far removed but I still would have liked that little bit and also and I know this isn't Christopher Nolan's strong point because I can't think of many of any films that he's he's done a good job of this but female characters are just not very well written at all uh, they don't really share um, they don't really have enough scenes and when they are in the scenes they fall into this the standard categories of oh here's mistress and here's wife slash mother and they, they kind of fall off the, the the page at some point and and you know they don't get picked up again until a few hours or you know like like a few hours yeah, a few few hours down the line you know it's, yeah it's I just would have liked to have seen especially when you've got such fantastic actresses as Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh I just wanted more from them but. 
what they did to deliver with the little screen time that they had was absolutely amazing. I just wanted more of it. So yeah, I, I marked it nine out of 10. <laughs> so oh, yeah, Dave. Yeah, you've made the right call. Absolutely, Alex, you made the right call. It's a very good film. I've got to hand it to Christopher Nolan. Like the technical aspects of the guys, I've I've got nothing to come back on. And you know, I, this is one of those films where I did my research and I had to maybe re- repurpose some other people's arguments. I had a few of those arguments that I agreed with, um, particularly what Gav was saying about how we don't see the destruction of Japan, which, like I say, I don't really want to see what happened there, but it feels disrespectful for us not to cover it from that angle, if you know yeah, what I mean. Sure. That yeah. was my issue with it. Um, and yeah, that one was genuine. And I see what Gav was saying about, you know, the Florence Pugh, Gene Tatlock and, and Emily Blunt, Kitty Oppenheimer just basically being tools for which you get to see another side of J. Robert Oppenheimer. You know, that's unfortunate, really. Um, all in all, you know, the performances are excellent. You know, I'm I'm really flying the flag for Robert Downey Jr. to maybe get his Oscar for this one. Uh, he is excellent. I think the whole cast are excellent. There's a lot right with the film. And like I say, we talk about, we get into personal preference of how you might have liked the story to be told. But you know what? No one's stopping me from making my own film about Oppenheimer. If I want to go and show that <laughs> side. If I want to go, yeah, you know what? I might, I might. You know? <laughs> um, I want to make that story. The story of you making a set for Oppenheimer. <laughs> just every now and again, just writing hate mail to Christopher Nolan. In <laughs> yeah, with but the budget other... of only like 20 quid. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be lucky if I can do that. I'm getting married this year. <laughs> but no, it's it's an excellent film. It really is a, a very good film. It's a masterpiece in many of the technical aspects. Um, and it's a solid watch, even though it is three hours, one minute long. It had me engaged, to be honest with you. I couldn't really hone in on that point too much. It did keep me entertained. It did keep me watching. It was a, It's a compelling story. Uh, yeah, a lot of the aspects are right. I'd, I'd agree with Gav, solid nine out of ten for me. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Dave. And Ozzy, finally from you. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't actually watched it. I robbed Gavin's uh, <laughs> notes beforehand, but I have Aussie. listened to a lot of people who've watched it, <laughs> including my brother. So a lot of my arguments, particularly the one around what film did you actually watch rather than sure. uh, the film that you wanted to watch, which, is something which, which I've put argument. back, which is what I've put back to, to him several times. So it's on my list of things to watch. And, um, Unfortunately, no, I've been ill last week, so I didn't. Uh, I couldn't deal with the three hours, one minute, <laughs> just watching. But, is, um, we're just we're just happy you're still here, man. You know, on the podcast I'm and in the mortal realm in general. You yeah, know, after being so ill. So. I'm glad you didn't, Ozzy, because honestly, Gav, you know, spent three hours watching a film, and then I would I would imagine I've seen him when he's doing it. Spent about three hours writing up his arguments, and yet you were the one <laughs> off the cuff and came up with the winner. Like, that's, just, <laughs> <laughs> that's just incredible. Well, what, to be fair, I did find myself I did find myself <laughs> nodding along with Ozzy's points as well. I did say I did send the message to say great points, mate. And then there was a bit where you kind of went off and I was like, no, stick to the script. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I made the mistake of looking at you while he was giving that argument. I started laughing. Oh, I was was like, you, for was about a solid two minutes, you, your face, I was like, any minute now, he's going to say, Ozzy, what the fuck are you on about, man? <laughs> any second. For like two minutes, I just couldn't take my eyes off you. <laughs> 
Well, well, thank you very much for your honesty there, Rosie. And uh, yeah, well, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, everyone, which was Barbie, which scored 88 and 83% critical and audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. You know what? This is actually one of the most interesting comparisons we've done. Yeah. 88 yeah. audience and 83 critical. No, the other way around. 83, 83. audience, 88 critical. I'm going to... Switch no, yes, I'm gonna switch them. What you're gonna say that it's higher audience but lower? I think sorry. I think marginally lower for both. I'll tell you, Ozzy's right. Uh quite high scores to be honest. 93% critical and 91% audience. Oh, so uh, anyway, all it, I, did, it did, probably didn't get as review bombed, and probably got, if anything, review. What's the opposite of review bombed? Review. Nuked. <laughs> you nuked. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of uh, like Godzilla. It kind of like it. It thrived on the bombing and grew, yeah, yeah, grew yeah, larger as a result. Stronger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much for your arguments, guys. Thank you to everybody who has listened to this. We really do appreciate you all taking the time out to listen to this silly little show that we do. If you like it, do us a favor and leave us some feedback. If you want to check out more Films on Trial content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. You can check us out on all streaming platforms and all socials as well, at Film Trials on Twitter and Films on Trial on everything else. So what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that... You should watch the film. Yeah. We should probably watch the film. <laughs> you should probably watch the film. <laughs> we've also learned that Alex, at some point between now and two weeks' time, has got to watch a three-hour Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair to your arguments i do a little bit want to so you know ah, okay yeah. right. it'll be interesting yeah. to hear what you think so we're going to be back in two weeks time where we continue our 2023 best of series with a review of Saltburn. so see you in two weeks goodbye well, sorry to hear that you've been poorly feel better soon yeah. Oh, they must have been to the rest of it. Thank you very much. I said, if you do die, it gives you a liver. <laughs> God bless you. You know, I've been so well, man. Well, try Gav sent me all these speech to keep me <laughs> perpetually sick. <laughs> Gav's a master. <laughs> Gotta get that liver somehow. <laughs>